encourage our hearts in the work of the kingdom. And Father, we thank you for that. May you receive all of the glory and all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Okay, we are close to wrapping up this study that we've been doing all year long on the names of God. There's so many of them, and they are so rich. And I want to give you an ending kind of um, scenario of that in, a, in another week or so that sort of wraps it all up as to why we've spent this year going through all of these. But I want to go to El Gadol today, Gadol Adonai, the great God. That's who we're going to talk about today. And when we do that, it allows us to take a journey way beyond ourselves and the limits of our world to see the Lord in glory and in power, in great glory and in power. And what this accomplishes for us is a reminder, first of all, of our own smallness in regard to the grand scheme of things. It helps us also to see how great a value he placed upon us. And it also increases our faith to know that whatever mountain or trouble we face is truly minute in his sight and well within his power to handle and resolve for us. So we're going to talk about the great God or El Gadol or Gadol Adonai. The main word here is great, and it is the word Gadol. It's first used in the scripture, the word itself, in Genesis 1.16, when it talks about how God made the greater lights, the one to rule the day and the other to rule the night. Speaking of the sun and the moon on the fourth day, it also means the great word, the word great, in the Hebrew, literally means to twist or to make large, to enlarge. It's speaking of being great, being more exceedingly large in magnitude, in scope and dominion and realm, also in extent. It's far-reaching. Distance is no problem for God. He can reach wherever he can reach however far. He can reach however deep. He can reach however long. Matter of fact, I want to read this verse in 2 Samuel 7, 25. The Lord has just given David a great covenant, a lot of promises for David's lineage, for the throne to come from his lineage, and, and a covenant with him. And in, in, seven, in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, verse 25, David is praying, and he says this, Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. That word forever, if you look it up in the Greek, I mean in the Hebrew, it means as long as necessary, as far as necessary, as much as necessary. Now I'll tell you what. When the Lord showed me that, David was praying that for his lineage, for his descendants. And I began to capture that verse, and I began to pray that, Father, what you have said in your word that promises to me about my children and my grandchildren, establish them as long as necessary, as far as necessary. And as much 
as necessary. And don't leave them until it's done. Establish it. It doesn't matter how far they run. Doesn't matter about distance. Doesn't matter about time. The great God is able to go and get them. He's able to work in them. He is able to do the work. As long as, as far as, and as much as is needed. What a comfort this is. The great God is also great in intensity. In degree. He can be however fierce he needs to be. He can be however relentless he needs to be. He can be however patient he needs to be. He can be however strong he needs to be. He can be however resolved he needs to be. He is the great God also in importance, in dignity and honor. He is distinguished. He is the great God in his glory. He is the great God in his magnificence. He is worthy to be worshipped with all of our praise. He is magnificent. He is something to be magnified, worthy to be increased, and of increased size and stature. If you'll remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it talks about how Jesus increased in stature and in favor with God and man. There's an increase. God is a God of increase. The first time we see El Gadol put together, or this word great, associated with God, is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22, and specifically in uh, verse 17, I believe it is. Let me start reading in verse 15. The Lord delighted only to you to your, in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of, lo of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So here we see the title associated with him or the name associated with him. He is the great God. And he is... The great God who made the heavens. We saw that the first use of that was in reference to the making of the sun and moon. And in this context, Moses is instructing them in the very essence of the law and why it is worthy. Why the Lord is worthy to be revered and to be honored and obeyed. And he says in this passage, he talks about how he created the heavens. Even the highest heavens are his and the earth is his. And it speaks of how these prove his greatness. And yet his heart's delight proves his love and his tenderness for us. Notice how much in this passage, when you read it, that God is involved in people's lives. He executes justice for widows and fatherless. And he loves strangers or foreigners provides food and clothes for them. All of these things, this great God does. And here we see God's greatness and how it brings to light how awesome, great, kind, loving, and merciful He is. So I want you to take this away by use of an illustration. Now, first of all, I'm going to tell you none of these are to scale, but I'm going to give you a bunch of facts that I looked up because I got interested in this. And I got to thinking, how can I communicate the greatness of God 
And yet the fact that he is our personal God. In other scriptures, he's referred to as our great God. So not only is he great in magnificence, great in intensity, great in glory, yet he is personal. He is individual. He has a relationship with us. So the Lord gave me this idea to use balls. So we're going to use balls, and, and sister is going to help me out. In Genesis 1, 1 through 2, and in verse 14 through 19, we read about, well, we read in all of Genesis 1 and 2 about the creation. But specifically in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it talks about, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then you go on and, and you find on the fourth day he created two great lights and a bunch of stars. He created the greater light, the sun, to rule the day. The night was ruled by the moon. So I began to think about these heavens being made by God, by his very spoken word. Now imagine that. Even that carries the idea and shows us how great our God is, that he can speak all of this that we're about to talk about into existence by just a word. Let there be. Poof, it was. There it came to be. Because the one who is the great God gave the command. It went out. And it happened. Just like always. The heavens were made by God. And by even saying that, it shows us that he is the greater. You can't make something if you're not greater than it is. So he is the greater. Means he has the wisdom and the skill to make. And he has the creativity to create and to create each one unique. So let's talk about some facts about this creation so that we know it a little bit more clearly. First of all, we're going to talk about the universe. What I've tried to do is I've tried to get varying sizes of these balls to just show us a little bit. They're not to scale, but these are just for, for um, visual purposes only. The universe is massive and vast. It's reach is yet unknown. There's not a telescope or a space shuttle yet that can go to the vast degree of this universe. We know very little about it. It's so vast and so wide. There are billions of galaxies in this universe, in the vast of outer space. The universe is filled with massive celestial bodies that give glory to God. I want to read to you a passage in um, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Now I want you to remember, I want to stop there for just a minute. David is writing this. David did not have telescopes. David did not have Voyager to go to Mars or wherever and tell us about it, and take pictures and bring them back to us. David had the sky that he saw, and yet he writes this. How much more appropriate is it today that we have telescopes, and we have space shuttles, and we have space exploration, and we know far more than David knew, but David still declared this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. 
Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And then it goes on, and it speaks more about that. And I want to I bring out some things about this. How he spoke it. And some of these things even speak back his praises. For instance, there is a planet called Pulsar. And it has a continuous rhythmic sound. It pulsates all the time, all the time, constantly, constantly. As a matter of fact, Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio, I don't know if y'all are familiar with them or not, but Louis Giglio has made several videos, very good videos, and he talks a lot about astronomy and he's explored a lot of these things. And the pulsar is one that they, they brought out. And Chris Tomlin took the, the sound that pulsar makes and he took the sound of some of the other planets that they are making and literally kind of recreated that with the instruments that he and his band have and formed a harmonic little melody of praise. It's beautiful. And this is going on way beyond us all the time. Pulsating, rhythm, music going on in the vast outer space as praises to God. And it's amazing that these things are billions of light years away from us. Now, a light year is the amount of speed it takes to go for light to travel in one year. All right? Now, let's think about this for just a moment. It's going to blow your mind. Light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. It can go all the way around the earth, seven and a half times in one second. So by the time I just told you that, light has traveled around the earth about 20 times or so. Just in me telling you that. Even more than that, probably 60 or 100, if you take a minute. So if there's 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours per day, and 365 days a year, that's a lot of miles in one year for light to travel. As a matter of fact, it's almost 6 trillion miles in one year equals one light year. So when I taught the Revelation study, it was, it was interesting. I gave them, because I found this as I went through it, Chuck Missler had brought this out in the scriptures where it talks about the rapture and the coming of the Lord for his church. And it talks about how it's in the twinkling of an eye. He brought out... How it's from, the, it's the amount of time, it's immeasurable, the amount of time that it takes for light to travel from one side of your lens, your same eye lens, to the other side of your lens. We're not talking about the whole eyeball. We're just talking about the lens, the little colored part that's inside that you see through. The amount of time that it takes light to travel from one side to the other. So I told him, I said, you can always measure it kind of like this. And to me, this has become a symbol to be rapture ready. Because there will not be time to repent. There will not be time to even recognize. We have got to live rapture ready. It's going to be that quick. And we're gone. So light is a very fast thing. And that's how you measure distance in the outer space area. So when we get around in space, light years becomes our yardstick. 
So we're going to use these illustrations. Our huge ball here, our biggest ball, is going to represent the whole universe. And it's a small one to represent that. But it's the biggest one we could find. Then we're going to use the next size to represent our galaxy. And there are billions of galaxies inside this vast universe. And then we're going to use the next smallest to represent our solar system in the galaxy. Our nine planets and our sun and all of that. And then we're going to use the next one to represent our sun. And then we get down to a smaller one that's called Earth, our planet. And then an even smaller one is called the moon, our moon. And then it's a marble. And then you won't be able to see these, but they're little airsoft BBs to represent you and me. Okay? So let's keep these in mind for just a minute as we talk about some of these facts that prove the greatness of God. God made it incredibly large. It contains huge objects and masses that our human minds could not even comprehend. He created innumerable galaxies with wide range of shapes and sizes. Some of the galaxies are in clusters. Ours is in what's called the local group cluster. Of the magnitude of the size of it, for instance, the Virgo cluster has about 2,000 galaxies. That's not ours, but that's just to give you an illustration. These can also be grouped into superclusters. This also speaks, the Bible speaks, in Genesis 1.16 when it says this, and God made the stars. Just a simple statement. And I was reading some of the creation, um, uh, doing some creation research. And it was talking about how that speaks of how casually the Bible speaks of all the billions and billions and billions of stars that are out there that he made. Just a simple statement. As if it was a trivial matter for God to make them. It was no big deal to him. How about that? And yet, we read in Psalm 147, verse 4 and 5, and in Isaiah 40, we read these two scriptures, verse 4 and 5 of Psalm 147, he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name, now I don't know about you, I got children and grandchildren, and sometimes I get some of their names confused, now think about a great God, I'm just trying to show you the great and the massiveness of our God. He has created billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and the number is staggering of stars, named them all. And now, let's see what Isaiah 40 verse 25 and 26 has to say. He, God is speaking. He says, to whom will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. 
So not only does he make all the stars, not only does he name every one of them, he writes down their name, he inventories them, and he keeps track of them. And not one of them falls without his knowledge. Not one of them is missing. This is our massive God to make all of this. The night sky is immensely beautiful to us. We live out in the country, so we can go outside and see on a clear night beauty of God's creation. And it is glorious to look up there. And yet we don't even fathom that it contains hundreds of billions of galaxies, each having millions to trillions of stars and countless clusters and nebulae. Think about the quantity of energy that was required to create this. And yet also note in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says this about Jesus Christ is who it's speaking of. I'm going to start in verse 2. Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the rhema of his dunamis power. Think about that. Now, I don't know if, if all of you have ever flown or not, but I'll never forget this. The greatest thing to me about flying, the most beautiful thing I remember is this, seeing the clouds from the top. To see the beautiful bright white of the clouds like cotton balls hanging there. They're not holding on by a string. They're just, just hanging there breathlessly. How beautiful is that? Now you take that and you think about the orbits, for instance. Just take our solar system. Just take our nine planets and think about this and the orbit of the sun. And yet every single day it's in constant orbit exactly like God commanded for the whole of the 6,000 or so years since God made it to begin with. And it's never missed a spin. It's interesting. Some of you know that I've, t I've spoken about a spin dance before the Lord. It's literally biblical. It's in the, in the Psalms. And it, it literally means this particular word for rejoice or be glad means to spin around in a circle. That's what it means. And I want you to understand something. When God set them in motion, he said, let the heavens rejoice before me. Let the earth rejoice and be glad. In saying that, he commanded that they spin before him. And sometimes even the scientists today can't figure out why they spin. I'll tell you why they spin. They spin because the God that set them in motion said, spin and praise me. And so they spin and they praise him. Every day the earth is spinning and praising God. The heavens, the orbits are spinning and praising God. He is the great God who set all of this in motion. And it took a massive God to do this. And then we come down to our galaxy. It's shaped like a dish. And the earth is on the dish. Closer to the edge than in the center. Might look like to us a faint cloud that stretched across a blue sky at night because it's on the backdrop of outer space. The Milky Way galaxy contains more than 
100 billion stars. Now, this is just our galaxy out of this huge universe that we're representing here. Each one has its own name. Each one is inventoried by God. And each one is kept by the word of the power of Jesus Christ. Our galaxy contains nebula. Some are more massive than 10,000 suns. Our planets, of which Earth is one of them also. Our sun is the greater light of Genesis chapter 1. Now listen to this. It is precisely right in size. It is precisely right in distance. It is precisely right in mass. It is precisely right in energy. If it was too far away, we would freeze. If it was too close, we would burn up. Also, it would be able to give off dangerous radiation and dangerous gravitational ties. If it was too large, it would engulf all the planets. If it was too small, it would be too faint to sustain life. But its current position and mass is perfectly right to sustain life on earth, to supply us with heat and light consistently. Being a single star, it doesn't have temperature variations that could cause other problems. Our sun is a big glowing hot ball of hydrogen gas, and the energy from fusion of hydrogen to helium is part of how it, it works. It's considered a stable hydrogen bomb. It's an extremely efficient source of energy placed at just the right distance to provide the right amount of light and heat for the earth. Now, who do you think controlled that? It wasn't some accident of evolution. There's a God in heaven who knew exactly the distance it needed to be, who knew exactly the size it needed to be, who knew exactly the mass of energy it needed to have because he was still yet to make something very special to his heart, a little planet called Earth. This is the greatness of our God. It's approximately six trillion miles no, I'm sorry, it's a distance of 93 million miles from Earth. So it would take 15 and a half light years to travel there. One website I was looking at said this, if someone was driving this distance at 65 miles an hour straight continuously, it would take 163 years to get there. So now what about our moon? Our moon is called the lesser light. It's about 2,100 miles in diameter, or the, the space of the main continental United States. It's about 240,000 miles from the Earth. The moon is unique in this. It has no light of its own. It only reflects the sun. Now, there's another sermon in that one, but I'm not going there. And it rules the night in that it dominates all of the other night lights that are in the sky. Let's talk about the Earth. Even the earth's spin is perfect for life. If it were tidally locked to the sun, one side of earth would freeze to death and the other side would be unbearably hot. The earth's axis and tilting is perfect. That's what causes the change in seasons, regenerates plant and animal life. 
The Earth's atmosphere contains 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen. And it forms a thin sheath that holds, held by gravity, that nourishes and protects life. And this sheath is within about 60 miles of the atmosphere from the Earth's surface. And one Christian place said that it was comparable to the skin of an apple in terms of the mass of it, the volume of it. It regulates the Earth's temperature, and it transports the water cycle for proper life. Even the water on Earth covers about 72% of the Earth's surface. Perfectly fitted and situated for life and controlling temperatures. So we see a massive God involved in creation. Our great God. Isaiah 40 verse 12 speaks of how he holds these things in the hollow of his hand. Now imagine holding that. She can't hold it in the hollow of her hand, can she? I mean, it's, it's going to fall. <laughs> He's massive. He's great. And yet, he is personal. Now, in light of this, in light of what we've seen, think about this. I want you to think about John 3.16 from this aspect. For God... The God who sits above the universe. The God who spoke it into existence. So loved what? The world. The little planet called Earth and the little peas of people that are on it. <laughs> it is no wonder to me that in Psalm 8, David writes this in verse 3 through 4. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? David wrote this without telescopes and without, Na without NASA. And yet he still marveled that the God who put stars and sun and moon in the sky would care to interact and visit and think about people here on this tiny planet. But I'm here to tell you, this massive great God does care about you and me. He sees those little peas. Now think about it. Hold, hold those up over here by the universe, if you don't mind, please. I want you to see the distance, the difference in sizes here. The God who put all of that into motion and created it all. And yet, every single moment of every single day, he has time for you. He cares for you. He, he's willing to talk to you. He loves you. He cares about you. He numbers your hair. He sees you when you fall. He calls us by name. He could blow with his breath and part the Red Sea. Could walk on water. Could rebuke wind and waves. Could defy nature and resurrect the dead. And he can save a soul and completely transform a heart in a second. So seeing this helps us to remember our place. Shows us our smallness, doesn't it? It amazes us that our God 
is such a great, magnificent God. It builds our faith when we understand that he really, 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 really loves you and me. And it proves our value to him. In Matthew 6, Jesus spoke about that. And he said, if I feed the lilies, I mean the the birds of the air, and I clothe the lilies of the field, how much more value are you to me than they are? All of this that he's made, and yet the apple of his eye and the thing he cares the most about is the little babies that represent you and me. Don't ever doubt his love for you. Don't ever doubt his care for you. Our great God is massive and is magnificent, but he is also personal and involved in our lives. Now let's worship him and praise him as we go into the service. In Jesus' name, bless your people. And let us never forget how much value you placed on us. And how great and magnificent and worthy of praise you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.